0: Hello everyone and welcome to the August 26, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I am Kyle Dyer and I'm so happy to be sitting in as this week's co-host with a fantastic panel that has gathered together to talk about some of what that has transpired over this last week here in Colorado. Of course, it's back to school time. And with that, we have a lot of education stories to start off our show with from our little learners to the college crowd. Students were back in class this week throughout our state. Denver Public Schools opened its doors to more than 90,000 students district-wide on Monday. Eric Sonderman, let's start off the conversation with you. Eric is a columnist for both the Gazette and Colorado Politics. And, Eric, this week's uh, Colorado Politics Gazette uh, uh, op-ed that you wrote was not very flattering of Denver Public
1: Schools. No, it wasn't. I did not hold back. Um, Viewers can go read it online and I would hope and encourage them to do so. I won't repeat it here, but I mean, my the essence of it was really twofold. One is all the metrics. I mean, there has been noticeable learning loss as we all have talked about throughout the pandemic. The scores and the achievement levels were not that great pre-pandemic and they have fallen. Uh, the, the gap between minority kids and Anglo kids has even grown. One out of 20 black or brown third graders is reading at grade level. Ponder that number. One out of 20, that's 5%. I mean, that is uh, appalling. And yet you have a school board that is completely dysfunctional, has turned themselves into a spectacle. They can't even agree whether to call each other by first names or some kind of honorific titles or whatever. Uh, They desperately need a marriage counselor or marriage disillusion or whatever it is. Um, and the district deserves better. It needs adult mm-hmm. supervision. It needs leadership. You have a new superintendent, relatively new, a year into it, who came out with a strategic plan. And I'm all in favor of strategic plans, but this one reads more like a social justice woke kind of mm-hmm. treatise than it does a comprehensive plan for learning. And, you know, I'm all in favor of social justice, but where is the justice? in an inferior education. And that needs to be the laser-like focus of this district.
0: Right, Penfield is joining us as well. Penfield Tate is an attorney here in town, also serving both the House and the Senate in the Colorado Legislature. Eric mentioned the the, the latest gap. Um, a new report says that DPS has the largest test score gap by race in the entire state. This These numbers are striking. We've heard about the deficiencies. But this is really troubling.
2: No, it, it is. And Eric's um, article um, being critical of DPS is exactly on point. Um, and the reality is this, whether it's DPS or Douglas County schools or Jeffco schools or whatever, the, our boards of higher education need to stop fighting among adults mm-hmm. and focus on the core mission, which should be preparing our young people to run society at some point and be functioning adults. Um, we all want to get to the point where we know as we age and we move on, people are capable and trained to take care of business. But the DPS numbers where you have only 72, 72% of white kids are forming, performing proficiently, but only 24% of Hispanic students and 26% of black students and black and Hispanic students combined make up the majority of the DPS Mm -hmm. population so that tells you something is fundamentally wrong. Quit worrying about how you address one another Mm. and worry about how you address educating kids and explaining to parents how and why their kids are or are not being educated. That's the fundamental issue here. And, you know, the politics have gotten in the way of the core mission, which is we've got to have some educated, smart and prepared kids that, you know, thankfully a lot of them are sharp, but goodness gracious, they're not getting enough help from educators.
0: Yeah, we got to do something now, right? Not a master plan for 10 years down yeah, the road now. Yeah, it's not the teacher's
2: fault either. Yeah. Teachers shouldn't have to be social workers in addition right. to being teachers, and they're underpaid, but that's a conversation for another day.
0: Well, for right now, actually, because <laughs> another report that caught our attention this week said Colorado teachers earn 36% less than other workers with college degrees in Colorado. Marianne Goodland of the Colorado Politics is with us as well. Marianne, apparently um, this is the biggest gap of any state in the country.
3: And, and it's really depressing um, about how poorly our teachers are paid. Th- that same study, which came out from the National Education Association, or, or that, there was that study too, that uh, said Colorado was about half, halfway in, the, uh, in teacher pay. It was I think the average was around $57,000 a year. If you look at the other states that were in that, same, that sort of same range, you had Wyoming and Maine and Wisconsin. And those are states where housing costs are half of what they are here, well below half. And in uh, Maine and Wisconsin in particular, they have programs to help their teachers buy homes. Uh, we don't have a state-level program. We have some some small uh, little programs here and there around, um, in, in some communities, mostly in the mountain communities. And then you have what's going on in Douglas County, and they actually are trying to address this and and. Hats off to them. The school board, in an unbelievably rare, unanimous uh, decision, decided to ask voters for uh, some mill levy overrides, including one that would hike teacher pay by about 9% in Douglas County. And that's a, that's a big deal in Douglas County because, and I've talked to some teachers down there, they make $18,000 less per year than the neighboring districts, Cherry Creek and Littleton. So Cherry Creek and Littleton have been poaching teachers out of Douglas County for quite a long time. So um, it'll be interesting to see if the voters are ready in an era where we're, we're all complaining about inflation and, and the, the cost of everything going up, whether they're w- willing to say, yes, we're willing to pay our teachers more. Yeah. And then there is the tough news on the education front coming from Jefferson County.
0: Thursday night, the Jeffco School Board recommended 16 schools to close by the end of the school year because of the declining enrollment in the county. And Denver Post columnist Krista Kafer is joining us as well. Krista, everybody was just kind of waiting to see if their school was going to be on that list. Now it's official somewhat because they're going to vote on it in November. But... Still
4: doesn't look good. No, you know, it's crazy. I grew up in that district, and we had so many kids that we were all on a track system so that they could run more kids through these buildings. Now they're going to have to try to close some of these buildings, and I think they need to ask themselves why. So they've lost 5,000 kids since the beginning of the pandemic. I think parents are frustrated by the politicization of curriculum, critical race theory, things like that. I think they're frustrated by the the masking and the closures that happen and the ground that their students lost. So I think there are some some things that the, the, the county, the school district, can do differently. But I think the situation more generally is something that all school districts are going to be facing because we have a decline in the birth rate over the last 15 years. And I think about it: my great grandparents were immigrants and they had 12 kids. My grandparents then had five kids. My parents had two kids. My sister has one child, and I have no children. And I think that there, there's complex reasons for that, but the drop in birth rate in all kind of, uh, you know, developed countries across Europe and other places uh, where you've got uh, basically either below replacement or replacement levels, uh, you're going to see schools getting emptier and emptier. And what do you do? What do you do with the buildings? How do you repurpose them? Um, How do you combine buildings? How do you very understandably, work with parents who are frustrated when they have grown attached to buildings and teachers and leadership. How do you work with those parents to make that situation less disruptive? It's something that Jeffco is going to have to face, but, frankly, probably every single school district across the country needs to be asking themselves these questions. We'll see. It will be disruptive for so many families. All right. The big political story this week. State
0: Senator Kevin Priola announced that he is switching political parties, going from being a Republican to a Democrat. Penfield Tate, uh, talk about this. This was big news
2: this week. You know, it was big news, and but it's not unusual in Colorado. I mean, uh, there are a number of us who remember back in 1995 when then-Senator Ben Nighthorse Campbell switched from being a Democrat to a Republican. And people were critical of him. Many said that he wanted to be a Republican because they were in the majority at the federal level and he wanted to get some legislation done. Um, And he said that he felt that the Democratic Party had moved away from some of his core beliefs. Kevin has said the same thing, and it's interesting, when you look at his letter, he says that what occurred to him is as he walked his district, running and preparing for the next election cycle, he was struck by the fact that many of his constituents, Republicans, felt that since the time of the, the last presidential administration and all the politicization, that the party had moved away from them. So he's, he made this not so much about himself, but that there are a number of us who are in my shoes who feel that the party has moved away. And as he said, the, the, the January 6th riot was the final straw for him, and the fact that people defend it, and still you have all these election deniers. Um, I thought another interesting note he put in his letter, which is something that we'll be talking about more and more. was. He feels that his party has become the party of climate deniers, uh, and he made very clear that he believes climate change is real. He even referenced the fact that it was Richard Nixon who created the Environmental Protection Agency, and now Republicans are pretending that there is no climate crisis. So um, it seems to me it's a heartfelt um, switch, and and I congratulate him for standing on his convictions. He may end up like Liz Cheney, but I congratulate him for standing by his convictions.
0: Yeah, Marianne, Republicans are not happy at all and have already started the recall process.
3: And this is going to make for a very interesting um, end of the year. One question is who gets to actually sign petitions and vote in the recall because he his district got redrawn in the redistricting process. So is it going to be that group of, of voters you know, that are primarily Eastern Adams County, and frankly, that has a Democratic voter registration advantage. Or is it going to be the new district, which it brought in parts of Greeley and Weld County, which is certainly more Republican? But the other the other issue, of course, is what Priola's change does for the Republicans' hopes of retaking the state Senate in November. And he just made that a lot harder. Um, you could wind up conceivably with a situation where Democrats hold like an 18-17 advantage. We do expect some seats to flip. It's not out of the realm of possibility. There are seven, there are seven seats right now that are being looked at uh, both by both parties, two seats that Republicans have to hold on to in order to take control, five seats that are in play, not including Priola's seat. So this is going to make the Republicans' job a whole lot harder because they now the Democrats now have a in effect a twenty one fourteen advantage. Uh, Republicans have to get four seats to take the the majority, which means taking four of the five that are actually in play. And that's that become a much bigger lift this week than than I think they would have liked. And I feel
0: like that part of the story has kind of surfaced more than what he wrote in his letter. You're examining all of it in your column this weekend.
4: I am. And I read the letter. And I think it is a good question. Is this a heartfelt change or is this opportunism? Um, Is this something like, well, I'm going to set myself up for higher office in a couple of years by joining a party that's ascendant? I think those questions are worth asking. He says he wants to stay true to his beliefs when it comes to being pro-life and being pro-school choice. I don't think he, I think he underestimates the amount of pressure he will receive to conform. So I think back um, you know dozens of years ago when I was a congressional staffer, there were dozens of pro-life Democrats in the U.S. House. Now there is exactly one, and there is, to my knowledge, none in the Senate. There is an orthodoxy in that party that is... Um, uh, there's a lot of pressure to conform to it. Will he continue to live his values, or will he start to change and become somebody else? I, I think that's still up in the air. His sincerity, though, I think, is 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 questionable and how he goes forward with that, if he retains his his voice for the the unborn, the voice for school children, that will show whether he is sincere or whether he is opportunistic.
0: Yeah, speaking of opportunity, Governor, uh, Governor Polis right away said, welcome to the party, and sent out a tweet and praised him for all the work on climate, like you were mentioning.
1: Well, of course he did. I mean, obviously, Democrats are overjoyed for reasons Mary Ann expressed, among others. Uh, Obviously, Republicans previously needed a flush to take control, uh, to use poker terms, Mm -hmm. take control of um, the state Senate this year. Now they need a royal flush, and royal Mm -hmm. flushes don't often... Uh, come up uh, in poker hands. Uh, so uh, so Democrats were th- th- threw out their open arms. I think Krista's point is a good one. Good luck to Kevin Priola being a pro-school choice, pro-life d- Democrat. That is a very rare species to the extent that species exists at all. That said, I'll identify more with Penn on this one in that I do take Kevin Priola at his word. I think this was first and foremost an act of conscience, an act of quite frankly, discussed at mm-hmm. what a large, not exclusive, but a very large segment of the Republican Party uh, has become. And I think uh, it's a little bit of a bellwether for a lot of Republicans had big hopes that this was their year in Colorado mm-hmm. as some kind of a wave, even though cl- the Republican ticket in Colorado is largely a grown-up mature ticket. The Republican brand nationally has been badly tarnished by the crazy elements of their party, and that is coming into play in Colorado as well. (sighs) Okay, all right, election season is upon us. And
0: I apologize, at first I started to say, Governor Romer. Did you notice I did that? I'm Senator Governor Polis. I just saw him the other day, and we talked about what politics was like at a time when there wasn't all this. It was very refreshing. Okay, speaking of election day, it's 10 weeks away and change. Um, We've seen the commercials. We have seen the candidates ramping up their performances and polishing their platforms. Marianne, you spent time up in Steamboat this week. At the, uh, you were covering the Water Congress, and you saw a lot of different candidates
3: saying their different positions. What did you take away? uh we saw the candidates for the major party candidates for governor, US Senate and attorney general all folks who have a role to play in dealing with our water situation. Um uh, both the, the gubernatorial candidates did address water although um Heidi Gannal stumbled a little bit uh at one point she was asked how she would address the climate uh climate change issue and her uh, be, the beginning of that response was, let's get oil and gas workers back to work, and, that, and everybody kind of went, huh? Okay. Um, and, and she later uh, explained a little more fully that it was part of an all-of-the-above all of sort of energy platform. And then um, she also mentioned in her comments about water that, that she felt like the state water plan was little more than a lot of paperwork and a framework. And I suspect that there are a lot of folks that agree with that, but that her solution was just that she would develop more water. And I went, okay, that's going to take something of a magic wand, I think. Um, Polis has never been particularly popular among the the water folks at Water Congress, but he did uh, do a good job, I think, of pointing out what the state has been working on, on the water crisis. The one thing that I took away from that was that almost everything he talked about was about conservation. And the thing you hear from the experts is you cannot conserve your way out of a water crisis. It takes more storage, more infrastructure, and it also takes the kind of money that Polis has just not been willing to invest into this issue. It's just not a big priority for him. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, Krista, there was a poll that
0: came out earlier this week that put the race very close, that Mm -hmm. Polis only is ahead by 5. Earlier this
4: summer, it was by 20 what's going on? Well, you know, Heidi is a very winsome candidate. She is, I know her personally, she's a super nice person. She's everything that she seems. She's got this wonderful story. She's, she's just, um, she's winsome. And I think that Colorado Republicans were very smart in this state, in the primary, not so much in other states where they, a couple of states, they picked total whack jobs, uh, election deniers and, you know, uh, TV doctors selling Mm -hmm. weird Stuff. You know, we, we did well here. And a, a, this, all of the statewide candidates are successful, winsome people putting forth good platforms that whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or an unaffiliated, you could feel confident that they would lead this state in a good way.
0: Okay. And Eric, this week, we've seen a lot of commercials, pretty much every commercial break, to Go Vote Colorado.
1: Yes, we have. We've seen plenty of Jenna Griswold and Wayne Williams. I'm sure Jenna, when uh, She came up with this idea, this advertising campaign had no political motives in mind whatsoever because she's just not a very political person. Tongue uh, (laughs) Firmly, (laughs) firmly in in, in my cheek in that comment. Uh, I think those ads are finally coming off the air and then of course this week I got this letter from Governor Polis along with my my wife's and my refund check. Uh, Curious, there's just no mention of Tabor in here, it's branded all over with the Colorado cash payback incumbents should knock it off whether it's jenna griswold or jared polis this is blatant use of the office and of public resources to campaign they should (laughs) knock it off Um, they have plenty of advantages right now i don't care what that poll says jared polis has more than a five point lead on heidi can at the moment you can go to the bank on that he doesn't need to be playing cynical games.
0: Okay, well, back to this commercial where you have the two secretaries of state talking about, oh, our elections are good, they're fair, they're accurate, we're honest. This is all not what it seems?
2: No, I think it is what it seems. Um, I think, to Eric's point, obviously there's some political theater here, Mm -hmm. but, but also to Krista's point, I mean, one of the things I think the Colorado Republican Party has done a pretty good job of doing is picking candidates who are not overtly election deniers. I think Heidi's lieutenant gubernatorial candidate may have some issues there, but by and large they aren't election deniers. And so I think it was important, frankly, for Wayne to be visible with Jenna and tell people Colorado elections are fair, they work. You know, regardless of whether we've had Republican or Democratic secretaries of state, we've had mail-in voting for decades, and it's worked fabulously. And no one has ever claimed that the person who won didn't really win and, you know, all of that. It, and, and Coloradans rely on it. And We've, I think, become the model for the nation. So you know, I, I think that's been a good move. Um, but, but it's heating up. Mm-hmm. It's heating up. We'll see more TV commercials we'll see more claims and screams and hollers and everything else It's gonna be a fun political season.
0: Fun, okay, fun. <laughs> I'm ready for fun. Uh, earlier this month we all celebrated, of course Colorado Day, the day we became a state. Colorado is awesome. We all love living here, but it's getting trickier to afford to live and work here. Krista, Aurora City Council, has come up with a plan that it says will help get the people experiencing homelessness off the street. It's a different idea. And a lot of people have heard a lot. You've written
4: about it this week. Well, you know, it's a great idea. And it's an idea that Denver actually did under Hickenlooper, which is to let people know that it is harmful to people to give money to them when they're begging. Um, When you enable people to... to kind of remain in in dependency and homelessness, that harms the people, it doesn't actually help them. So what Aurora is gonna do is start a media campaign, including signs that say, if you want to give, give to organizations that truly help those who are experiencing homelessness, who are out of work, who have perhaps a dependency issue, get them the help that they need. And I've had friends that have gone through these programs, they work, they help people. But anytime somebody gives a dollar, a five dollar bill, Anything to somebody who is begging on the street—that is a guarantee that person will show up the next day and beg again, imperiling both themselves and other and and drivers in cars. So I, I think what they're doing is really commendable, and I have no doubt that it'll work well. And in Denver, it's
0: interesting on the weekends—you can see multiple groups that come down every Saturday to provide food. I mean, multiple groups. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they'll be pushing Denver to just focus on the nonprofits. Let's hope so. All right, and in Steamboat Springs, Eric. Um, like so many resort towns, it's getting harder and harder for the local workers to find places to live. Steamboat thinks they have a plan.
1: Steamboat thinks they have a plan. The plan's always in the execution. I'm less familiar with the details of Steamboat Springs, but uh, we live most of the time these days near Tabernash mm-hmm. in Grand County. The worker shortage is immense. Restaurants can't be open seven days a week because yeah. the workers cannot find housing. A lot of these localities are coming up with plans. The proof will be in the pudding. The Airbnb of our, if, that, if I can use Airbnb as a verb, the Airbnb of our country um, and of our mountain communities as well as of Denver is becoming increasingly problematic because it is taking properties that used to be available for rent at affordable rents, and it is taking them off the market because the owners of those properties can reap higher revenues. I tend to be a marketplace guy but in this case, it's really become a distortion of the market. And real quickly, finally, b- back to Krista, kudos to Krista for the column. She wrote last week uh, on Aurora, on panhandling, what Denver did under Hickenlooper did have some mm-hmm. effect. And the other point that was not, uh, not said, there is a distinction between those who are out panhandling and those who are homeless. There is not a one-to-one overlap. Some of those panhandlers are homeless. Not all of those panhandlers are homeless. Some of them are doing it as as nothing but a revenue source. Give to agencies, not to beggars on the street.
0: Also for businesses trying to afford to keep going, earlier this week, the Saucy Noodle, an establishment that went heavy on the garlic, right on University Boulevard in the Bonnie Bray neighborhood, had to close because of the cost of rent. Um, Penfield, uh, this place has been there forever and the new landlord said, we want more money and you take up less space.
2: You know, we've talked all around this, but the bottom line is we have major problems in Denver that are all interrelated. Um, We don't have enough affordable housing. Um, we have too much gentrification going on and we have the plight of the unhoused. And this has impacts in the residential market and it has impacts in the business and commercial market. And so that whole west side of of university, uh, south of exposition, is all gonna be redeveloped at some point. And it's gonna be a mixed use development, mid-rises, Unless the new council gives them some latitude, hopefully there'll be some affordable housing mixed in. But this is what happens when you have decades of policies where you're not encouraging compelling developers to build housing that people can afford to live in. That's why teachers have to live so far away from the districts they teach in. Mm -hmm. They can't afford to live in the cities where they teach kids.
0: Mary Ann, when you think of housing, we can't forget about those people uh, in Superior, in Boulder County, who lost their homes in the Marshall Fire. And I found it really interesting, earlier this week, there was an op-ed written by a woman who just moved back into her home, which is still being worked on, who said, well, why us? Why does everyone care about us? What about
3: all the people who are homeless every day in Colorado? And I had seen, I saw a story earlier in the week. that. It, that looked at the issue of homelessness and they said the absolutely the number one solution to homelessness is housing and and year after year after year after year in some communities it's working and I recently had an opportunity to, to uh, tour a facility called Arroyo Village with Governor Polis and I was so impressed with this place and I, I think that they've got uh really really excellent ideas about how to address the housing issue and how to move people forward. This is a facility with 130 units. 100, uh, 95 of those units are one, two, and three bedroom uh, units for families. Then they have 35 that are known as permanent supportive housing and then a uh, 60 beds that are shelters for that serve as a shelter for women and transgender individuals. And in talking to some of the folks who are going through some of those different kinds of, of uh, rehousing and permanent supportive housing, it was, it was so wonderful to see how much housing lifted up their lives. Uh, one, one woman had told me that she had been living in her car for two years and finally got into a shelter and then is getting moved into a different uh, place in Arroyo Village. And, and it's like this is this is a wonderful program, and I would love to see more communities expand on this because this this seems to be a, the step in the right direction. Yeah, home is hope. Let's figure this out um, really quickly. Everyone, one
0: word to describe your disgrace of the week, if you can.
1: Can't do it in one word. Got a parking ticket earlier today that's fine I deserve the ticket that 25 what used to be a $25 ticket in Denver is now 35 welcome inflation (laughs)
2: Um, the affidavit was unsealed with regard to the former president and the 15 cases of boxes containing classified material and national defense information Um, somebody's going to jail
3: the lawyers who handled the filing for President Trump, which uh, uh, according to the judge who handled this case, don't seem to know very much about how to write a legal filing. Mm-hmm.
4: The Biden administration for making ordinary Americans pay for other people's college tuition. Okay. And uh, you're a good thing of the week.
1: Salman Rushdie, the author, an exemplar of free speech, who now paid the price with his personal personal security. Uh, So many people are into silencing these days. Mm -hmm. We ought to be supporting those advocates of free speech.
2: Um, Coloradans, as we've begun to come out um, hopefully post-pandemic, we had some great summer festivals. Sabor, um, done by the Colorado Hispanic Chamber, was one of the best at the Botanic Gardens. So I'm glad we're having festivals and hanging around each other again. Me
3: too. You're gonna find this really strange. Brennan Isley for showing us what could be the light at the end of the tunnel for Mesa County and the Tina Peters debacle. Okay. I'm going to give it to Mission
4: Yogurt at DIA. They've started giving their employees 100 bucks a week for commuting, for, you know, whether it's oh. uh, gasoline or the, the time they have to spend in those lines to get to their job. Hey, way to make a win-win situation. I like
0: that. That's a good one to end on. All right, thanks, you all, for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me. If you have any questions, please let us know. Give us your comments here at PBS 12. You can always watch this on our YouTube channel as well. Have a great week and great rest of the month. We will see you next time. I'm Kyle Dyer. This is Colorado Inside Out.